Several years ago, most of you know, we built a new church building here. Before we actually put up the building itself and as the floor and and different things were being built, we had decided a good while earlier that um, we wanted to make a commitment to the Word of God. We are committed to the Word of God in this church, right? So um, we actually took a, a Bible and we dedicated it for that express purpose at a special event that we had out. And then we held that Bible until we were at the stage of building where we were, would be able to deposit it. And things didn't move quite as quickly as we thought, so I had the time to actually read that Bible. I mean, really, read it from cover to cover. So I read that that Bible. It was something that was important for me to do personally. So I read that particular Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And then when the time came, we put it in a safe and a lockbox, waterproof, and about right here, under the concrete, down in the dirt, there's a copy of God's Word buried here, primarily to remind this man right here to always preach the Word. The other stuff doesn't matter, but always stay true to the Word of God. That was my vision for putting it here. This past year, since January in our church, we have been involved in something that we have called the year of the Bible. 2017, the year of the Bible. We have a good number of our people in this church who are reading the Bible all the way through. According to a schedule, which reminds me. If you're needing your schedule for the remainder of September and October, they're on the table out front. So if you haven't received that yet, it's there for you. This week, um, we are coming to the end of the Old Testament. This morning, I'm going to be sharing with you from two books of the Old Testament. And this Wednesday evening, the last Old Testament Bible study will have the book of Zechariah. I'm taking Haggai and Malachi and putting them together. You'll see in a few moments, I think, for obvious reasons. Now, I'm saying this to be very deliberate. Um, if you're here with us today, it's your first time or second time, and, and you hear me preach this sermon today, I don't want you to go away from here saying, I knew it, I knew it. That's all preachers are all about. It's all about money to them. I've been here 20 years and you can probably count on one hand how many times I preached about money and tithing and giving. Not very often. But when I do it, I do it. When I do it, I'm going to be true to the word of God as I do it. Okay? Is that fair enough? And this morning I'm going to share with you from God's word. Very plainly, what the Bible has to say, this particular question. What does the Bible really say about tithes, offerings, and first fruits? That's going to be our subject this morning. 
So I just wanted to explain that to you as a background. This pastor is not all about money. I don't talk about it all the time. But this morning, that is our text, just like a lot of other things have been our text over the last few months. And when we come to them, I don't select that text because somebody in the congregation, I think, needs to hear it. I select it and preach it because of God. The word of God is the most important thing we could do as a church to be faithful to the Lord, to boldly declare the word of God. You might not become the biggest church in down in town when you really adhere to the word. But I would rather adhere to the word and not be the biggest church in town, but be faithful to the Lord in the things that really matter. So if you get the feeling this morning, I believe you, you think that what well, I believe that guy means what he says or believes what he's preaching. Well, you're going to be right because I'm going to bring it to you. Right from the word. Um, In your bulletin, you'll find the biggest sermon outline I've ever done. (laughs) 11 by 14. And as you'll open that up, you might want to follow along with me today. Pardon me? This one? Oh, you want me to? Oh my goodness. I've never used a handheld in my life. If it wasn't for the recording part, I'm talk loud enough for you to hear me, believe me. Um, some people say that tithing was just a, retire, uh, a requirement for those under the law. I know you've heard that. You may have even said that. You may even believe that. I think you'll change your mind after we share God's word in context here today. Tithing was not just a a requirement for those under the law, but today we're going to read uh, about what God says. There are more than 500 verses in the Bible concerning prayer. That's a lot of verses. Is prayer important? There are nearly 500 verses concerning faith. Is faith important? Sure. But more than 2,000 verses on the subject of money and possessions. Now, I remind you the purpose or the reason that we are dealing today with Haggai and Malachi is because we've gone through the, the entire Old Testament up until this point. And on Wednesday night, we usually have a Bible study from a book of the Bible. And then on Sunday, I preach a sermon from that same book of the Bible. I'm trying desperately to finish up, and that's why I've combined two together today. We've already done our Bible studies on uh, on Haggai. I'm adding Malachi this morning. We'll do Zechariah Wednesday night. So next Sunday... Can anybody say hallelujah to the fact we'll be in the New Testament? (laughs) I'm excited about it myself. 39 weeks or more we have been now in the Old Testament. So we're going to read a significant passage from these two books. So if you'll turn with me in your Bible to Haggai, I'm going to read first. And you see it on your sheet there. I I did this because I wanted you to be able to take this with you 
and read it for yourself and meditate on it and and even confirm that well there's not much to confirm today i'm gonna let god's word do the talking chapter 1 verses 2 through 11 in haggai thus speaks the lord of hosts saying This people says, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. The people are saying it's not time that the Lord's house should be built. Verse 3, then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you yourselves To dwell in your paneled houses. Some translations say sealed houses. You have nice ceilings and paneled rooms. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? And this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts. Consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat but do not have enough. You drink but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. Let's pause right there for a minute. How many of you have ever felt like there were times when you didn't have enough money for the amount of month you had left? Well, this goes even beyond that. The Lord says, because you have neglected your obligations to God, you've neglected God's house, you've neglected the work of God, You've sown much, you bring in little. You eat, you don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. This is not a good Sunday to have to do a handheld, I'll tell you that. But that's what we got. I'm going to go up here. Now, Nathan's my boss man. So I'm going to let Nathan... Pay me for this past week. Okay? He's gonna put, he's gonna put my paycheck into my bag here. And I sure do thank you, boss, for, for paying me today. Paying you in pirate's gold. And so I go throughout the week, Monday through Friday, and my bag's empty. So I come back the next week, It's time for another payday, and I get paid again. Thank you, boss. But before I get to the end of the week, my money's all gone. I believe some of us know how that is. Another week rolls by, and I come back again, and it's time for payday and a bonus this time. And first thing you know, when I check to see what's there, it's all gone. It's like putting money into a bag with holes in it. Now, the Lord says, 
There's a reason for that. Verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. i got to tell you this one. One day when Nathan was about 12 years old, I don't remember what he had done, but it sure made his dad angry. And I had been in there and got on him pretty good and said something to Nathan. And uh, hour or so later, I went back in the bedroom and Nathan had a sheet of notebook paper taped to his mirror. And on it, Magic Marker said, Nate or Nathan, change your ways. <laughs> and he wrote it, not me. So he got the message. The Lord said in verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Think about what you're doing. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you bought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house, therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit, for I have called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands." Notice, it's not that just a wind blew, but the Lord says, I blew it away. We put our money into a bag with holes in it, and the Lord says, I'm the one that put the hole there. I'm the one that's causing things to work out the way they're working out. I'm behind that. Why? Because you need to consider your ways and your priorities and what you're doing. Well, that's Haggai. We had our Bible study the other night on that, on Wednesday night. A very, very good Bible study. Now I'm going to transfer over to Malachi and read chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. This is a different prophet at a different time. Same problem, though. In verse 6, Malachi says to the people... And God is speaking through him here. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts? To you priests who despise my name, yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? Verse 7, you offer defiled food on my altar. But say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Can you imagine God requiring of the people sacrifice? I'm reminded in the book of Exodus when the Lord asked them to uh, sacrifice a lamb for a house. 
Maybe we'll talk more about that in a few moments. He specified that that lamb had to be perfect and without blemish, right? But the Bible says here that these people weren't following anything like that. Oh, no. No, the Lord required the sacrifice, and some of them thought, well, I'll give it to you, all right. And they bought the lambs that had the manes. And the lambs that were blind and the lambs that were lame. They bought sacrifices that were not at all the best, not at all the most desirable. The mangiest, scrawniest, sickless animals at all. That's what they bought for their sacrifice. And the Lord said, I ain't taking that. I'm not accepting that. Verse 9. But now entreat God's favor, he says, that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably? Says the Lord of hosts, who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered in my name and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit is contemptible. You also say, oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. You mock, you make jokes about it. You think it's funny. And you bring the stolen and the lame and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. My name is to be feared among the nations. Chapter 2, verses 17 You have wearied the Lord with your words. Wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or where is the God of justice? In other words, God doesn't really care. I mean, I know he wants a sacrifice, and I know he wants it this way, and I know what he has said, but he's not really going to do anything about it if we don't do it like he wants it. That's what he's saying there. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. He delights in them. That's what they're saying. Well, we're going to find out that's not true. Chapter 3, beginning at verse 6. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me. Even this whole nation 
Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. That's a promise. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. If you'll be faithful, if you'll do what I've asked you to do, I'm going to bless you, he says. But if you don't do what I've asked you to do, if you rob from me, you're cursed with a curse. How many of us realize today that if we're cursed with a curse, we can say, I am blessed all day long. But if God says you're cursed, you're cursed. It's a very serious thing that we're reading today. And we pick up in verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke one to another. And the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. These, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. For behold... The day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But you, to you who fear my name, to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat. Like stall-fed calves, you shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Well, as we read those passages, there's no doubt that God means what he says. However, I guess it would be a legitimate question to say, okay, does that mean because it's in the Old Testament and because he's writing to his people, the Jews there, then are we free from that? Is that, is that commandment to us today? Are we obligated to tithe? Is the Lord talking about us in this passage and this particular subject? Well, I would like to take a little journey with us through the scripture right quick and we're going to go all the way back to the time of the beginning the book of genesis and creation and if you'll notice this time we've done this several times in bible study to to fix in our minds what's contained in the old testament it's um it's a timeline if you will of the old testament first there was the creation and then the fall and then the flood and then babel and then abraham isaac and jacob jacob's name was changed to israel israel had sons or tribes became a nation ended up in egypt moses was called by god to deliver the people we call that the exodus then there was a period of the judges and a period of the kings and and on and on it goes and you can say the whole history of the old testament in about two minutes just by using those headings. And we've done that many times in our Wednesday night Bible studies. It's not difficult at all when you read it and break it down. 
So today we're going to go back to creation in the book of Genesis, and I'm going to read these scriptures to you. I have them, I have them printed for my, um, ability to read them quickly, so I won't ask you to turn there. You have it there before you. But in, in Genesis chapter one, that's pretty early in the Bible, isn't it? Genesis chapter one tells us some things about who we are as people. God created individuals. Um, and chapter Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, the Bible says, talking about Adam and Eve, then God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then he said in Genesis 2.15, Then the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. Stewardship. Man was given the responsibility of managing, stewarding, or handling what God put into his care. I will suggest to you today that you don't really own anything because all of it belongs to God. You, you may think you got, you own a lot of money and, and, you know, I'm a millionaire. Well, I got news for you. When you die and they put you in a box and we lower you in the ground, that million dollars is not going to be with you. I heard a story the other day about a man who did have a whole lot of money and he made his wife promise that that all of his money would be with her with him when he was buried sure enough he died first well the lady kept her promise she wrote a check for a million and a half dollars and put it in his coffin and closed it up and put him in the ground <laughs> she kept her word but kept all the money too didn't she because he couldn't cash that check where he was going, wherever it might have been. We can't take it with us. I, I've got a I've got a piece of pro- property about a mile and a half through the woods. There, it's deeded. It's got my name on it. It's not really mine. The Lord's just letting me manage it for a while while I'm here, and then somebody else will be steward over it. It's not it's not my possession, really. It all belongs to the Lord. This whole earth belongs to the Lord. He just allows us to be stewards over it in particular ways. And we have to be stewards over our finances. We have to be stewards over our time. We have to be stewards over our talent. We have to manage our lives well in such a way that they bring honor and glory to God. Amen? That's what it means when the Bible says, You shall have no other gods before me. Put me first in your life, in your time, your money, your talent, everything you do. Make me first, and the rest of it will fall into place. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We're to be stewards in every area of our lives. One of those areas is, of course, in finances. Now, when we move on over to... um, um the flood. Look down below flood and you'll see Noah. Genesis 8 verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of, of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. We read about Noah making offerings to the Lord. Huh. Well, that's interesting. Isn't it interesting that the Lord told him to take extra animals along so that when he got off the ark, he had had some to offer and still there was enough left to, to replenish the earth with the others? 
This offering business was in the mind of God from the very beginning. Now, let's go back to, um, let's see, Abraham. Let's look at Abraham. Genesis 14, verse 20. And Abraham had been in this conflict, this battle against some other kings, and he had won. And the Bible says, and this king Melchizedek uh, was was having a dialogue with Abraham. And, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And then the Bible says concerning Abraham, and he gave him a tithe of all. Abraham gave Melchizedek a tithe of all, a tenth of all. In Genesis 22, we're going to read again about offerings and, may I say, first fruits. Genesis 22, you remember when Abraham was told to go offer his son Isaac his, and, and uh, present him to the Lord as a sacrifice. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you of. So we read there about offering and also first fruits. In Genesis twenty-eight twenty-two, this concerns Jacob. And this stone, which I have set up as a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. There it is, the tithe and the tenth. In Exodus 23, verse 19, the Lord told the people there, well, let's just stop right there. Let's, before we read the book of Exodus, look on your sheet here. We have seen where... In Genesis, God talked to Adam and Eve about stewardship. Uh, Cain and Abel, which I skipped over, didn't mean to. He talked to them about first fruits, about bringing from their own flock and their own garden and offering it to the Lord. Uh, he talked to Noah. Noah knew to give an offering and was provided with the, the means whereby to do that after the flood. Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek in Genesis fourteen twenty. In Genesis 22, he gave an offering based on first fruits. That was the first uh, lamb that was born and that, that type of thing. And then in um, Jacob, in Genesis 28, gave the tithe. Now, what we have there is examples of tithing and first fruits before the law was ever given. I want you to note that. People say, well, tithing was just under the law. No, tithing goes all the way back to the beginning. Before the law ever came around, before the law was ever given, tithing was taking place. First fruits was a requirement. Did you know that in the Old Testament, the Lord required of people that they, uh, that their firstborn had to be redeemed? Does that make sense? Their firstborn belonged to God. And so what they had to do, they had to take a lamb and kill a lamb as a sacrifice to redeem the firstborn and keep it. Do you remember a time when God told the people of Israel to all take a, a, a lamb for a house before they left Egypt? 
He said, take a lamb for a house, slay the blood or slay the lamb, take the blood, put it on the doorpost and the upper doorpost. And what was going to happen if they obeyed God and killed that lamb? What was going to happen to the firstborn in every house of Israel? They were going to be able to live, right? But in Egypt, where they didn't offer a lamb, the, who was it that died in every house? The firstborn, because the firstborn belongs to God, and it has to be redeemed. And that's why he said to the children of Israel, take a lamb for a house and offer it. It will redeem that house and save that person's life. Well, that's always a principle in the scripture, the law of the firstborn and the law of first fruits. It's, it's amazing how this used to be taught, but not so much anymore. The very first church I served as pastor of, and this has been uh, almost 40 years ago, there was a man in that church who was old. He was an old retired preacher. And I was blessed to have him in that church. And I could tell you another story from the next church where there was an old retired preacher that did basically the same thing. But you know what these men would do? They would bring, they had chickens. And they'd take, they'd take the first fruits and they'd bring that to the pastor. Honest, true story, true story. We built a new church and old brother Melbourne Jones, he bought me a whole sack of eggs. Only problem was, he set them in the front seat of my car. So after church, I went out to the car, and I sat down in the front seat, and eggs shot up everywhere. All over the ceiling and all over that truck. But what he was doing, he was bringing the first fruits to the pastor. True. A few days ago, my dad came, did the same thing. Was something was growing in her garden. He says, Bible says, bring the first fruits. So I'm bringing this to you. It's just something we used to do. It's the way we used to think because we recognize that the first fruits belong to God. Well, the first fruits are equated with the tithe in the scripture. And that is to say that 10% of whatever we get belongs to who? It belongs to God. The first fruits belong to God, not the, not the leftovers. What we want to do sometimes is we want to pay all our bills, and if we left, if there's anything left for God, then then we give that to God. We have gotten it backwards, folks, because the tithe is the first fruit. The first fruit belongs to God. We don't tithe when it's convenient. We tithe because it's right, and we just do it. And when we do that, my dad taught me this because he was he was my pastor growing up, so he's the only pastor I've ever really had. And this is what I learned. I heard him say it a bunch of times, and I've learned it by experience, and many of you have learned the same thing. That when it comes to tithing, if you will tithe, give God the first 10%. If you will tithe, you can do more with the 90% that's left than you would have done with the 100% to begin with. Because if you keep the 100%, you're cursed. And nothing's going to go right, and your back's going to have holes in it, and God's going to blow it away, and it's not going to work. It's just not going to work because God wants the first fruits. It belongs to Him. The first fruits belongs to God. It's a spiritual principle. It starts in the book of Genesis and goes all the way through the Bible. Really has nothing to do with the law. It, it worked during the law. It was continued during the law, but it started way before the law, and it's been going on ever since the law. For those of us who aren't Jewish, it's still a, it's still a requirement for us. Now, as we 
we could continue, but for time I don't think I will. You can go ahead and read about Moses and first fruits and Leviticus 27 and the tithe. You can do all that. The point I'm trying to make today is that tithing or first fruits was practiced at least 2,500 years before the law. If you look here to the, the time of creation, and you'll notice there's a question mark above that. Nobody knows when creation was. And where I came up with 4004 BC, that's a date that has been used by, by conservative preachers for years because somebody took the time to add up the ages of all the people in the Bible and go back and they came up to 4004. I believe creation was before that. But that's the one I'll use because it's kind of generally accepted. Even using that, you can see first fruits and tithing taking place all the way back to the time of Abraham. All the way back in Genesis, they were offering first fruits. Did they just dream that up? Or do you think because God was communicating to them and teaching them, is where they received that? How did Noah know which animals to offer as sacrifices? And the fact that he should offer them as sacrifices after the flood was over is because God told him. So, when we look at what God says, let me go ahead and read these two passages. Exodus twenty three nineteen: The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Leviticus 27, 30 through 32. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wants at all to redeem any of his tithes, he shall take one-fifth or she, he shall add one-fifth to it. In other words, if you've got a lamb and you don't want to sacrifice that lamb, you'd rather keep the lamb than you take the value of that lamb and give it instead, but add 20% to it, he said. That was God's commandment. And concerning the tithe of the herd or the flock or whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. You've read that in the Old Testament where they'd bring all the flock by and, and they'd count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And every tenth one belonged to God. That's the way it was taught in the Old Testament. So it doesn't matter if we're talking about the fruit on a tree or if we're talking about the, the, the cattle that reproduce or the sheep that reproduce or the, the money or the dollar bills. I believe it was Charles said, did you say greenbacks the other night in Bible study? To talk about that green money? It, it's all the same thing. The principle is the first fruits belongs to God. The tithe belongs to God. Now, here's, here's the point I have to make. This is, this is not, this is not Pastor Ron giving attention and an infomercial this morning about tithing. We're studying what God's Word says, aren't we? And it was the Lord who said, will a man rob God? And our first reaction would be, you can't rob God. How could you rob God? But God says you can rob Him. He says, yet you have robbed me. 
But you say, in what way have we robbed you? And he says, in tithes and offerings. And then it was God who says, you are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me. Even this whole nation. I'd rather focus on the positive side of that than the negative. And many of us are well aware of this scripture. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. That there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven. And pour out for you such a blessing. That there will not be room enough to receive it. Now he talked previously in these passages about closing the heavens. And stopping the rain. Now he's talking about for those who are obedient to him. He says there will be an open heaven over you. I'll pour out over you such a blessing that will not even be room enough to receive it. Several years ago, we saved and saved and saved and gave and gave and gave. Oh, goodness. I don't remember what it was. Was it, Nella, was it close to $300,000 we paid for 15 acres here? I think it was about $300,000 and you talk about for a church our size and $300,000, it looked impossible, didn't it? And first thing you know, it's just four or five years, and basically we paid off that $300,000. Man, people just started giving like crazy. And then we turned around and borrowed $1.2 million. I'm telling this story because some of you don't know this story. We borrowed $1.2 million. Now, here's one thing we did. The whole process as we were going through it, we promoted anonymous giving we didn't talk about who gave we didn't give to be seen and we didn't give to be recognized the bible says don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when it comes to giving that is to say you don't parade it and wave it around and brag about it it's between you and god and he who sees secretly will reward you openly amen so we haven't named buildings and put tags on anything. This is God's stuff here. And so we did all of that and we promoted anonymous giving and, and we gave and gave sacrificially. Some of you sitting here, I could call names of people that I know gave sacrificially. We were in this building for 12 months and I got a phone call from Nelda one day. She said, are you sitting down? I was in that room over there, that office. I said, yeah, I'm sitting down. She said, well, I just opened up an envelope here, and there's a check for our church for $1 million. I said, are you kidding me? She said, I'm, I said, are you sure? Does it, are you sure it's real? Call the bank and find out. You know, you just, a lot of people like play pranks on you. But we made a couple phone calls and got it verified. And somebody sent this church $1 million anonymously. And to this day, I don't know who did it. You tell me God won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. There's not room enough to receive when you will honor him. Amen. Now, I've seen that happen for Duke Hospital and UNC and uh, universities, but I'd never heard of that happening to a small church before. But I'm going to tell you, it happened to this church right here. And until just about six months ago or a year ago, we bought 15 more acres next to us to go all the way over to 401. Until we bought that, we were debt-free. 
Now we have about a $2,000 a month payment on that property over there. But you know what? God's going to help us do that. Not a doubt in my mind. Because we're going to honor him and it's for his glory. We're trying to do, we're trying to do his work and his, he has a great future for this church. He has things in mind for this church that blow our minds. But I'm going to tell you folks, folks, we, we have to, we have to make sure we're not operating under a curse. I mean, just think about that. I, I, I heard a guy say one time when he was preaching on tithing, he talked about bringing your first fruits. Bringing your first fruits, bringing God the very best you can bring. And he put it this way. He said, bring God your first fruits. He don't want your stinking leftovers. That's the way he said it. But you know what? If we, if we operate according to the culture of our day and we buy everything we want to buy and pay all the bills and give God what's left, they tell us on the news there ain't nothing left. Because a lot of people are living on credit cards and going, going farther than, than, than what they have. So we have to make sure that we do things God's way. Amen? Because that's God's word. And to, to operate under curse is not a way to go. Some of you, I have, there's a couple in our church. When I mentioned tithing a few months ago, one Sunday morning before we took the offering, they came to me after church and said, Pastor, you, you're absolutely right. We, for years, we have been faithful in tithing. Sometimes we weren't even living right, but we would, we would tithe. And they said, and I'll tell you what, God has blessed us in unbelievable ways. And I hope to do a video with them and show it to you. Uh, sometime soon. But that everybody will tell you that. Everybody who's been a faithful tither will tell you that God has not let them down. And you know what the Bible says? When you are faithful in tithing and giving and hard times come your way, you have the right to go before a loving God and say, now, Lord, your word says, put me to the test. Your word says, try me in this. And see if I will not open you windows of heaven and pour out a blessing there's not room enough to receive. And that's not, um, that's not, um, a thing that would be inappropriate to say to the Lord. Now, Lord, you told me to put you to the test. Now, I'm a tither. I've been giving my tithe. I've been paying my tithe. I've been giving offers. I've been faithful. Now, I need your help. Then watch God come through. He might come through in a different way than you expected. But I'm going to tell you, God's putting his name on the line. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's not me. It's not me here. It's God putting his name on the line, his reputation on the line here. He says, try me now in this, says the Lord. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes. But I'm going to tell you, some of us need the devil rebuked in our lives. The enemy, the devourer. Well, we have to make a choice. Are we going to go through life operating on this system? And all of our money going through a bag with holes in it. Or we're going to do it the way that the Lord teaches us to do it.
And you know what? That's a decision that every person in this building, including this one, has to make for ourselves. Amen? Amen. I'd like for you to stand with me if you would. Yeah, bring me that box, Nate. Nathan's reminding me about a box I was supposed to get him to bring to me. I don't know where you found the box that said first. Well, I'm going to tell you. Most of you know this past week was Joy and myself's uh, 42nd wedding anniversary, so we decided to go to dinner one night and splurge a little bit. Uh, at least it's splurging for us. And we went one night to the Angus barn and had dinner. Well, as we were coming out, I saw these boxes underneath the counter up front. Actually, when I was going in, I saw them. You see that? It says first fruits. And it has two hands reaching down, holding this apple. Well, this was a box of apples. They give away apples as you leave and take as many as you want. I didn't want the apples. I wanted the box. So I said to the man up front, I said, could I... Do you have any empty boxes like that? And he said, no, but I'll empty one for you. So he gave me this box. Well, when I got home, curiosity just really got all over me. So I had to Google first fruits of Washington. I thought, this company has got to be a Christian company. My goodness, did I get a pleasant surprise. There's a video that tells about this man. When he was like a, in 11 years old, and he had this dream about growing apples and having an orchard so that he could help people in India and share the gospel. And I went through that website, and it gave scriptures, and it called, he's called us to bear fruit, and that our fruit should last. He quotes scriptures all over the place. I, oh, it's just amazing what he has done. And indeed, in his mind, when he named his company First Fruits of Washington, there was a reason for it. I'm going to tell you, First Fruits are important to God. This is a big, big principle, giving him our First Fruits. In my life, Lord, be glorified, be glorified in my life, Lord. Be glorified today. Let's sing in this church, Lord.
this morning I feel somewhat like Jonah. You all know who Jonah was, right? The Lord told him to do something and what Jonah do? He said, uh-uh, I ain't doing that. And that's, I kind of feel that way. I kind of feel like Jonah because years ago, when I was a kid, like 12 years old, I remember being somewhere with my dad fishing and he was chatting with somebody and this man looked up at me and he said, you going to be a preacher like your daddy when you grow up? And I said, no, sir. And I never wanted this. I ran from this for several years. And uh, how many know when the Lord's after you, you better listen. I say that to say this. I don't, I don't, um, it's difficult for me to stand and declare what I've declared this morning. And I can do it only because I know it's God's word. And it's not my message. It's his. I'm a messenger. That's the only reason I can, I can share this today. Otherwise, I would like to win friends and influence people and like have everybody like me, but not everybody's going to like you when you talk like I've talked today. But God didn't call me to have everybody like me. He called me to be faithful to his word. So I just have to share what the Word says. And the Bible says, if we will do what God says, we're blessed. And if we refuse to do what God says, we're cursed. And we need to consider our ways. Heavenly Father, I lift up to you this congregation today, and I pray that you would take your Word that we have read today. And help us to understand that we are stewards. We are stewards of all that you put in our hands and all that you bless us with. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be good stewards. It's not just in money. It's in our time. Some of us have so much on our plates, we have pushed you right out of our lives. Help us to be good stewards of our time. We should never be so busy that we don't have time to give the very best of our day the first fruits to you. And the same goes for our money. The same goes for our talents and our abilities. Oh Lord, one day we want to be able to stand before you and hear you say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joys of the Lord. Oh God, speak to our hearts. Help us to consider our ways and help us, Lord, to conform our ways to your ways so that you can smile on us and open up the windows of heaven and be pleased with our lives. Bless our people, we pray. Now, Lord, we lift up to you everybody in our church who has a need. People are sick. People are hurting. People are struggling. Lord, every prayer request, every person who needs you, every person who's traveling today, every person who's grieving because of a death, we lift them up to you right now. Lord, as a church, we bind ourselves together in prayer and pray that you would minister to every need in accordance with your perfect will. 
And we'll give you praise and thanksgiving for it. It's in Christ's name that we ask it. Amen. Thank you for being here today. Shake hands with somebody. If you want to, come grab a little bit of this money. That'll be all right.